Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Broughton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Everybody, hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. All the social media accounts. It's hashtag SGN. Also, Sports Garten, G-A-R-T-E-N. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you get in touch with us. Guys, we have a lot to talk about. NBA playoffs are beginning. NHL playoffs are beginning. NFL has released their week one lines. I am pumped up. Oh, by the way, we still have Major League Baseball going on, so we're going to get into all of that. But look, the NBA playoffs is a time where, as a sports better, you can really clean up. I always talk about the NBA playoffs is that second season. All of a sudden, things settle down, and as a sports better, it's really an advantageous time, especially Especially early on in the playoffs, I want to get into the NBA playoffs, and I'm going to get into one of the more interesting NBA playoff teams, which is the 76ers. Seemingly, their whole plan is coming into fruition, and I want to get into you know something that's very interesting because you start to see the 76ers making a push. Everyone knows what they did, so I have an author of the new book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. It's Jake Fisher. He's a writer for Sports Illustrated, Slam Magazine. You can go catch him at Twitter at Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Jake, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for that introduction, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I brought up the Sixers because they are kind of the team at the forefront of when people believe and, and they start to talk about the NBA tanking. It's the Sixers, and one of the things that you hear all the time is that tanking didn't work. Why? Well, the Sixers, they don't have a ring Okay, but that could change this year. Is it a matter of the fact that they have to win to make sure that tanking works, or ah, tanking kind of already it works? I don't think so. I think you talk to any smart executive in the NBA, and there are a lot more of them now than there were ten years ago. They will all tell you that the real only goal for championship contenders is to give yourself a five to six percent chance of winning the title. That's what the math really says. And and there's a, there's five to seven teams pretty much every year who are in that mold who are considered contenders. That's a very low likelihood, right? I think the goal of of, of being in that top tier. It's just to give yourself a chance. And, and Sam Hinkie's idea, being poor on purpose for multiple years in a row, collecting a bunch of young all-stars and seeing which one stuck around and actually did lead you to the promised land, I, I think the idea was to keep them in the fold and keep them in the mix year after year after year, not just to win a title because you do need a lot of luck and you do need a lot of unforeseen variables to go your way to ultimately win a championship anyhow. You know, you brought up the executives, and the question I wanted to ask you is, are certain executives more prone to saying, you know what, we might be able to tank? Is it city-based? Is it fan-based? Is it age-based? Are there executives that you see just saying, you know what, we'll never do that because of A, B, and C, or yes, we will do that because of A, B, and C? Absolutely. The book came about because there was a rise of a lot of analytical-minded front office thinkers. It wasn't just Sam Hinkie in Philly. It was Rob Hennigan going to Orlando from Oklahoma City. There was Ryan McDonough in Phoenix. David Griffin came to power in Cleveland. Pete D'Alessandro, you know, a former lawyer, went to Sacramento and became their general manager. And, and the, the thought process was pretty clear. The, the, the most direct way to win a title is by getting these guys at the top of the draft 
in that top five range, holding on to them and hoping they can one day bring you to competition. And coincidentally, as all those as all those people were coming into power at the top of these front offices, that's when Miami was doing that exact thing, winning title after title and making finals appearance after finals appearance with three guys who were all picked in the top five of 2003. And lo and behold, the 2014 draft class was considered to be the next best class since that 03 year featuring Joel Embiid. And, you know, the bottom guy in that top seven was Julius Randle, who's now an MVP candidate. So there were clear be- uh, benefits and dividends to um, teams doing that, especially small market teams like you, like you asked about. You know, those markets I mentioned were Orlando and Phoenix and Sacramento and Cleveland. Milwaukee gets into this equation. Minnesota does too. The all-stars are not flocking to those destinations in free agency. The easiest way to have all-stars come to you is through the draft, and hopefully someone will join them just like we saw with Chris Paul head to Phoenix this season. What about the coaches? Because I know how executives think, but if you're coaching a team and you're basically told to lose, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, right, you're in that process. How do the coaches handle the idea of, look, my job is to win, and the organization is sort of hoping that I don't win? Yeah, and that's part of what I think makes this dynamic so fascinating. And the real human element that comes to play with the strategy is is so relatable. I mean, I talked to over 300 people for this book. That's kind of my selling pitch. You know, I have a lot of original storytelling and news and information from those conversations. And I got to know these coaches and players who, you're right, they, they were they were stuck in this organizational strategy with the daily task at hand of winning games. And that counterintuitiveness you know, it really wrapped everything. And the coaches, they are trying to win. The players are out there with the idea that every time they set foot on, on the court, that it's an audition for all 29 other teams in the league, especially the veterans who are on the trade block, like Evan Turner, Spencer Hawes, Thaddeus Young back in the day with Philly. You know, Rajon Rondo was a big trade ship for Boston. Um, I, I mean, Sacramento Kings were trying to build around the Marcus Cousins, but also thinking about moving him at a certain point. So when when you're in the eye of that hurricane, you are definitely trying to win the game. That's why the book's called Built to Lose. It's the roster construction and putting together, you know, units full of inexperienced players and trading away your veterans for younger players and draft picks that ultimately leads coaches to getting a lot of losses on their record. We're on the phone with Jake Fisher, author of the new book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Error Changed the League Forever. Jake, um... We always look at the Sixers. I think the Sixers are kind of the team in most people's mindset of, you know, lose on purpose and kind of build this. But do you think it was happening in the past? Do you think that it was happening in the past, but maybe it just wasn't talked about? It wasn't discussed? It wasn't on? You make it a point uh, in your book at one point. You said the NBA doesn't care that people tank. They just don't want the ESPN talking about it, right? You you have to think back and go – I have to believe this was going on, but it was very hush-hush. Don't tell the players, don't tell the coach, but we're going to kind of do this. There's a really fascinating through line where in 1984, right when David Stern first took over as NBA commissioner, the Houston Rockets lost five of their, or excuse me, they only won five of their last 21 games on purpose to fall down to the to the worst team in the, in the Western Conference, which back then, the number one pick was decided by a coin flip between the worst team in the West and the worst team in the East. And that's how Houston stumbled their way into getting Hakeem Olajuwon from the nearby Houston Cougars. And, you know, the, the, the Clippers were the team that were the bottom team in the, in the West before Houston out tanked them. That Clippers pick was owed to Philadelphia. So 
that's the pick that became Charles Barkley at number five. If the Rockets don't tank in 1984, maybe the San Diego Clippers are in that coin toss. They get the number one pick, and maybe Philadelphia gets Michael Jordan, which is pretty wild to think about. Flash forward 30 years later, David Stern's on the outs. Adam Silver takes over as, as, as Commissioner Stern retires. And what does Adam Silver inherit? But this brazen tanking strategy in Philadelphia by Sam Hinkie, who came from the Houston Rockets. So it definitely is a rich history in the league. And I think you're right. The fact that we have Twitter now and, you know, ESPN is what it is and social media uh, overall, not just Twitter, has created such a streamline for fans to voice their opinions to executives and coaches and players. Now it's we have the opportunity for it to be a talking point versus, you know, back in 1984, obviously, the, you know, the, the word wasn't so easily spread back then. Why do you think that executives aren't afraid anymore uh, they're kind of not shying away from it they're just saying you know what sure we're doing it we're doing it uh, why is that it's not hush hush anymore i think because the game has become so clear based off of how lebron james has impacted the nba ecosystem that stars are everything and if you really want to compete for a title the only way to do so is to really rally up multiples of them at once I and mean, we see it with brooklyn with three of them right now philly's got you know joel and bead and Ben Simmons. Milwaukee has Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. In the West, you know, the, the Sun, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Uh, the Clippers have their two wings. The Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's it's the only way to really be in that um, that, that, that sphere. And, and the most direct path to do it is by tanking. So it's created this, this, this conundrum where most of the league is either bottoming out or competing for the title. And it feels very uncomfortable when you talk to executives and coaches who are in that middle tier, they're always kind of on the hot seat, like Terry Stotts in Portland and Rick Carlisle a little bit in Dallas. And you hear it now with Milwaukee and Mike Budenholzer and the Kings with Luke Walton. When you're not in the middle tier or when you're in the middle tier and you're not competing and you're not bottoming out, there's, there's kind of like this feeling of swimming in circles. And I think fans now are willing to accept that strategy because they want, if, if they're not in that contending stratosphere, they want to be, being sold that bill of hope that one day in three years we will be there you know it's bad now but there's no pressure to win games enjoy the fun enjoy someone like kevin porter you know scoring 50 points we're going to draft somebody else to join him and and don't worry in two years we'll be back competing for a title we are sitting here with jake fisher author of the new book built to lose how the nba's tanking era changed the league forever and you know I want to get into something uh, that that you kind of mentioned. You mentioned the fans' perspective, and fans have enjoyed this, and uh, they say, okay, well, you know what? We're building for something. It gives them a little hope. It gives them an outlook. I think it puts butts in the seats if you go get an exciting young player that you think might be able to bring you to the promised land. But one thing I want to throw in that might change the landscape, and that is legalized sports betting now. Legalized sports betting is involved. It is here the notion of tanking now, I think, is going to be looked at by the league, by uh, the sports betting community, by people that are regulating it. The tanking now is going to be looked at in a little bit of different eye. Do you agree there? I think so, especially when, you know, I say the book includes a bunch of different anecdotal histories of case studies of tanking. Right, Philly was the most brazen effort as much as Boston. They're the team that moves on from KG and Paul Pierce before it's too late versus the Lakers are holding on to old Kobe Bryant and trying to build a contender around him. Um, and ultimately they're just as bad as anybody else. 
But OKC and Houston right now, they're more brazen than anything Philly ever did under Sam Hinkie, where they're just sending home Al Horford for half the season. And, you know, John Wall is sitting courtside every night, healthy, watching these young players for the Rockets instead of himself actually being out there. So you're right. It's definitely an issue that the league has to consider being that there's, they're, they're at the forefront of wanting to get involved to get a cut of uh, legalized sports gambling. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they're also concerned about how the midseason ratings are, are falling down, be, being that there's just as much um, attention now on the offseason, which is great for the league and the news cycle, but the, there has been a, a, a waning uh, clear trend here of, of fans' regular season interest at the end of the regular season. And, you know, it does bleed into college basketball because college basketball, the more that I do this show, I've been doing sports radio for 20 years now. The more that I do this show, the more I hear people going, you know what, I like college basketball better than the NBA. And it's starting to be uh, a little bit more kind of looked at in a bright light because, oh, it's unsoiled, it's untainted. You mentioned Coach K in the book. Uh, tell the listeners about that interaction because that really stood out to me as well. Yeah, I, this is one of the more fascinating revelations that came from in, in the 300 interviews that I did. You know, as, as Jalil Okafor is getting all this attention in Philadelphia, his rookie season for unfortunately getting in a fight in Boston and someone pulls a gun on him at some point in downtown Philly, he gets a speeding ticket for going over 100 miles an hour on the Ben Franklin Bridge. And Sam Hinkie is just not coming into public refusing to break his silence that he would go with the media to protect, you know, his, his trade secrets and whatnot from leaking out to other front offices. But he, he was driving the league office crazy for not getting in front of the situation, especially when it was happening on such a losing team. And coach Krzyzewski was really frustrated by it too. Jalil Okafor had just led the blue devils to the championship that year as a freshman. He was a number three pick in the draft coach K was also the USA men's basketball team head coach who had a great relationship with Jerry Colangelo. And I don't think that connection between Duke and Jerry, Adam Silver going to Duke, Adam Silver's college roommate at Duke was the president uh, or a co-president um, of Apollo Global while Sixers owner Joshua Harris, you know, came from. Those connections I think are pretty impossible to deny when you think about what ultimately happened with Jerry Colangelo coming on board the Sixers ultimately then kind of pushing Sam Hinkie out and replacing him with Jerry's son, Brian, as general manager. The the ties are very, very obvious. Yeah, you know, that, that Coach K stuff kind of jumped off the page to me, too. I said, oh, okay, there you go. We're talking about Dan Gilbert. All of a sudden, Coach K's got kind of involved. You know, we, we talked about what the NBA can do here to kind of prevent it. And the ping pong balls was an idea right after uh, the frozen envelope and everything. Right, The ping pong balls came up. Um, that was an idea. I think free agency has sort of derailed this as well. You mentioned the Nets. That wasn't built because of draft picks. That's built because of free agency. What would be your kind of fix to stop the tanking? Or would you just say, you know what, just let them do it and let's see how it works out? Yeah, the Celtics assistant general manager, Mike Zarin, kind of told me that he thinks as long as your draft record has some type of impact on your draft, sorry, your record on regular season has some type of impact on your draft position, Tanking will always exist. And he pitched this idea back before 2014, but it was considered in 2014 when they started uh, at the Board of Governors meetings discussing options to, to, to quell this tide. Um, he talked about the wheel, where all teams in the league would be divided by five or six, depending on how you want to do it. And there'd still be a lottery, but every year 
you, your bucket would shift. So five teams would be picking between one through five and the lottery would happen. And then the next year, those five teams would be picking 26 through 30. And then year three, they'd be back at six through 10 and it would cycle so on and so forth. And that would truly separate teams records from their draft positioning. And therefore every team would be incentivized to go after out there and compete because you have, you have no benefit to losing. And I think that would really be something to look at if you really want to get rid of tanking. But I think there's also a lot of merit in having this more socialistic type environment where, you know, the draft is designed to disperse talent around the league and to make every team have a, a fighting chance at competing. Right. So the wheel concept, as much as it would get rid of tanking, um, pr primarily it would also have a, have a secondary impact of it would hurt a lot of teams who need to be bad one season if they have a bunch of injuries or, you know, like Houston right now, James Harden just decides I wanted to go to Brooklyn and then the Rockets are screwed. So they're, the Rockets are kind of fortunate that the current system is there to help them and, and to help their fan base ultimately have a, a, a playoff team to root for in the very near future. Yeah, you know, I, I play in fantasy football leagues and fantasy baseball leagues and stuff, and you never want a team tanking. So what you do is at the end of the year, you know, the last month of the season, whoever's got that best record or, or wins head-to-heads, they get the number one pick, and it's like the battle of the worst teams. It's something to think about. We're on the phone with Jake Fisher, author of the new book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, you also write for Sports Illustrated, Slam Magazine, at Jake L. Fisher over on Twitter. So I want to just ask you some general basketball questions because we're talking about the Sixers. Everyone was on the Nets a couple of weeks ago, right? That was it. The Nets are, are yeah. everything. The Nets, the Nets, the Nets. They were preemptive favorites. They were already winning the championship. I mean, put it in the books. And I'm looking at this Nets team the same way I'm looking at the Lakers team and I'm going, I just don't think you could roll the ball out there and not play with these guys and win a championship. What do you think? I agree. I, I, yeah, I, I cover the NBA once a week. I do a reported column for Bleach Report. I came from Sports Illustrated. I've been around this for eight years now full-time, and I, there, I've never seen a champion just sleepwalk their way to the finals. And I think a really fascinating aspect of the Eastern Conference is the Sixers, but you know, I, I think they're going to have that number one seed locked up um, pretty easily. And you know, now they're going to basically, in their first round uh, matchup, they're going to get somebody in the eight seed who had to play two games in the playing tournament. They're going to get the loser of the seven and eight game playing the winner of the nine and 10 game and the winner of that third game. So they're already going to have a much weaker opponent on, you know, much less rest in the first round. Then they're going to get the winner of four or five, which is either going to be, uh, I mean, it's going to be that matchup's going to be two of Miami, Atlanta and the New York Knicks. And I don't think any of those teams are really going to give the Sixers much, uh, problems, so they're going to sleepwalk into the conference finals pretty much, and and then Brooklyn will have coming out of that Milwaukee. You know, it's going to be a slugfest in the second round between those teams in the two-three matchup, and um, I think they're going to have a really tough road to get through Joel Embiid, who's been basically waiting for two rounds to finally have someone come at him. The odds to win the East just a couple of days ago, Brooklyn was minus one ten, Milwaukee plus three fifty. 
The Sixers were plus 400, uh, the third best team as far as the odds go. It made no sense to me, absolutely no sense. Look, I like Milwaukee. I've been talking about them, uh, but but Milwaukee's uh, uh, behind the Sixers. Uh, look, Sixers of value. What about the West? I mentioned the Lakers. They are the favorites as well, plus 175. Clippers plus 240. Utah with no respect, plus 325. Phoenix with no respect, plus 600. Denver 15-1. to 1. Well, You know, in the West to me, I thought Denver, but they got that injury. I don't believe in Phoenix. I think Utah could be the team, and they're getting some pretty good odds. Everyone still loves the Lakers and Clippers. I agree that Utah, I I believe in Phoenix too, but I really especially think Utah is not getting nearly enough credit. They're the only team in the league who has pretty consistently all year long ranked top three, top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They go 9-10 deep. I mean, we see Donovan Mitchell go down and, and with an ankle injury. And Jordan Clarkson steps right up, and they don't really miss a beat. You know, they, they have different matchups to throw at pretty much anybody. Rudy Gobert is still a beast inside, even though Jokic and Embiid have, you know, kind of stepped ahead of him, I think, in like the center pantheon in the league. Gobert is still what he is defensively. Mike Conley is, you know, a really, really, really good point guard. And we can see they have guys in Bogdanovich and Clarkson and Joe Ingles, who aren't their main scorers, who can go off any night. So the Jazz are, I think, a real, real threat, and I think they're the most complete team. Will they win the West? I don't know, but if I had to gamble on it right now, I would put my money on the Jazz. That is the voice of Jake Fisher, author of their new book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, thank you so much for your time. Guys, go check them out. At Twitter, Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Slam Magazine, he used to write for. Sports Illustrated, writes for Bleacher Report now. Go check it out. Go get the book. Uh, You know, I couldn't agree more with Jake there. Uh, You know, I'm looking at the Utah odds. I'm looking at the Sixers odds. And I'm saying to myself, you know, I'm not buying in because of just value here. I really think Utah has a chance to win it. I I don't like the Lakers going to the championship. I don't really like the Clippers going to the championship. So the team that I sort of think, I'm not fully convinced, but the team I sort of think could win this thing, Utah Jazz to win the West. And the team that I think probably is going to win, it's either going to be a Milwaukee or the Sixers. I'm out on the Nets, guys. Plus 350, plus 400. I might take a double shot there. So I agree with Jake. We're in the same mindset. I'm going to come back, talk a little bit more NBA. We got NHL on tap right after this on Wagering Week. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Oh, well, this is at BetMGM. Updated odds for the number one pick in the NBA draft in 2021. Cade Cunningham minus 500. Everybody thinks that... Kate Cunningham, the kid from Texas, is going to go number one overall. Jalen Suggs, plus 800. Evan Mobley, plus 800. And that is what are the odds? Uh, You know, I I had had to go there after speaking about the tanking, right? We had to go there after speaking about uh, who's who's going to be selling off this year. And you you heard Jake there say, you know, Houston's in a bad way and, and whatnot makes sense if Houston could get Cade Cunningham. I think they love him there. I mean, that that works. Well, let's talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs just uh, for a brief moment here. And, you know, the, the playoffs this year is quite different. We know that the format is very, very different. 
it's going to be the play-in series. And the play-in series, the playing game is a playing games. So I'll give you the long version and I'll kind of explain it to you. Basically, what you have is 7, 8, 9, and 10 are going to be playing a play-in series. If you are the 7 seed or the 8 seed, you only have to win once. You win that first series, you're in. If you're the ninth or the 10 seed to get in, you got to win twice. So what's going to happen here is that 7 plays 8. And the way that it's lining up here, it's going to be the Lakers will play Golden State. So 7 plays 8. When 7 plays 8, whoever wins automatically becomes a 7 seed. But if you're the 8th seed, don't worry. Hold on. Don't worry. you got to lose again to get knocked out. Because 9 and 10 will play. The way it's lining up, it's San Antonio, Memphis in the West, and in the East, uh, Washington, Indiana, Charlotte. You know, So 9 and 10 are going to play. And when 9 and 10 play, loser goes home. So it's very simple. If you win in the first round of your 7 and 8, you move on. If you lose in the first round of your 9-10, you go home. Then the winner of the 9-10 plays the loser of the 7-8. And whoever wins that game moves on. So if you're the 7th or the 8th seed, win that first series, you're in. You don't have to worry about anything else. If you're the 9-10 seed, lose that first series, you're out. You don't have to worry about anything else. But if you're the 8th seed, you have to lose twice to get knocked out of the playoffs. If you're the ninth seed, you have to win twice. Well, the 10th seed, you have to win twice. So you have to win twice or lose twice. So that's the way that the play-in goes. Now, it's pretty much uh, everyone's kind of consensus here is that the Lakers are going to, you know, get their play-in game. They're going to get things right. Everything's going to be okay. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, from a betting perspective, I'm not touching the Lakers. They are plus 175 to win the Western Conference. They are the leading candidate to win the West, and I just don't like them. From a betting perspective, they are clearly going to be overbought. And to be truth be told, look, I don't like San Antonio, Memphis, Golden State, uh, or the Lakers at all. And I really don't love Dallas. I don't see a buying opportunity on Dallas. Look, I was hot on Dallas before the year began. You know, Dallas is a team that I liked. I think they got uh, potentially the best player in the league when he's on. And Luka, I like Porzingis. I liked what Dallas was doing. I don't like their road to get there. I haven't seen the consistency this season. Uh, they had a good year, but that's about it. So that leaves us with five teams. The Lakers are massively, just massively overrated. The other teams, to me, they're just not real contenders. Can Curry get hot for a game or two? Sure. You know, can John Morant get hot for a game or two? Yeah, maybe. And Luka, the same kind of thing. The Lakers, they're not a cohesive unit. And you heard me talking with Jake, who said, basically, he doesn't he didn't remember, and neither do I, in any sport. Let's just be honest. I forget about just the NBA. In any sport, I don't remember a team that's just not playing together and just able to flip the switch. Maybe the Lakers could do it. I just don't think so. And let me take it a step further and tell you that I think LeBron is a little disconnected this year. And I think we all saw that coming. Look, LeBron's had injuries two of the last three years. The one time he stayed healthy was last season when he won a championship. New team, new league, sure. But LeBron's aging, old, beaten-up body, and that's what it is, Okay, it might be chiseled, but it's aging old and beaten up. He didn't have to go through the rigors of a full season last year. You can say, well, he didn't do that this year because he's been hurt the whole time. But it's the difference between being hurt and not having to deal with it, right? He didn't have to travel. No getting in that airplane when your knees are hurting you. Sitting in that airplane, right? No, 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 no. There's none of that. 
Last year, Inside the Bubble was specifically made for LeBron. Not on purpose, but it wound up being perfect for LeBron. LeBron is now an activist, or he wants to be. LeBron's in Hollywood. He's making movies. LeBron is thinking about life after the NBA. But he had to get that chip, right? He had to go out there and get that championship before he did it. Now he did. I think LeBron's a little disconnected. So forget about all that. Portland is dangerous because of Damian Lillard. I think they are always a dangerous out because of what Lillard is and what he can be. But I don't see Portland being that long-term fix. I don't see Portland being a long-term threat here. So that brings us to the top four teams. Denver, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Jazz. And the Clippers are the team that a lot of people believe have kind of sleepwalked through this season. It's not reality, right? It's not reality. They're a very good team. But they believe that they sleepwalk through the season. I wonder if the Clippers are also a team that is expecting to turn it on. They were knocked out of the playoffs last year after they were supposed to absolutely walk through. They were knocked out. They are a team where you have some weird personalities. Lots of talent. Weird personalities, ups and downs, not a big yeller. Kawhi Leonard doesn't scream and yell. It's a weird situation. And the Clippers are relying upon, well, you know what? Kawhi's going to carry us, and Kawhi's going to be the guy. And, And that works sometimes, but I don't see that going all the way. So that leads us with Denver, Phoenix, and Utah. Phoenix is a team that has been consistently good all year. Chris Paul has now gotten MVP conversation. People see Chris Paul on your television all the time because he does a million and one friggin' state car farm commercials, right? I mean, how much time is this guy on TV without winning anything? Um, by the way, if it wasn't for Mahomes, State Farm, I, I, I would, I would couldn't stand that commercial because Aaron Rodgers and Chris Paul. Uh, but Phoenix has gotten into the limelight. People loving Devin Booker. And Booker goes off and he scores 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. Oh, wait, hits the Lakers and he does nothing. I think Phoenix is a fun team, man. I think they're a fun team. I think they could do good things early on. I don't see the sustainability of Phoenix. And one thing about Phoenix, I think they're going to be a little bit overbought, right? They're going to be a little overrated by the betting community and by the lines makers because they have Chris Paul. Because the people in Vegas are staring at Phoenix as almost their hometown team. Because people are going to be going, you know what? This Phoenix team is fun, exciting. I think they're going to be a little bit overbought. So that leaves us with Utah and Denver. Denver's a team I want to throw money on. 18 to 1 odds or 15 to 1 odds to win the West. I mean, they're right there. And Denver is an injury away from me going, you know what? Denver would have been my team this year. They have the MVP in the league. They can score from different areas. They have no problem traveling. They play really well at home. They have everything I want in a potential championship team. Denver, though, was probably a better team last year. And they couldn't get it done. Now, they got very far, but they couldn't get it done. Denver seems to me almost like the Memphis Grizzlies were year after year after year when they had Gasol and Conley, where they're an extraordinarily good team, but they're not great. They're very, very, very good. They're just not great. So while I want to throw a couple of bucks on Denver, I don't see the buying opportunity there. And then you have the Utah Jazz. Utah has been consistently the best team in the league all year. They have the best home record in the league. They have multiple facets of ways that they could beat you. They could beat you with Mitchell and running the floor. They could beat you with Bogdanovich and running the floor. They could beat you with defense with Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert, by the way, 
best defensive center in the league, and, and yeah, I'm including Embiid in that situation, and yeah, I still think so. And Utah also is a tough place to travel to, right? Thin air, maybe not as bad as Denver, but it's a little thin air. Utah, this is why they're so good, and they are getting underrated. I think you can get a good buying opportunity from Utah. Not only do I think Utah can win this whole thing, but I think Utah has the buying opportunity and the price tag. They're plus 350 to win the West. Yeah, I kind of like that, guys. Kind of like plus 350 to win the West, and they're more than 6-1 to odds to win the whole thing. Kind of like that with Utah. Let's go to the East. Washington, Indiana, Charlotte, and even Boston, I'm not taking serious. Okay, Boston's too banged up. They lost uh, a guy that just was vital to their team. I love Brad Stevens. I'm not taking any of them serious. Okay, I can't take a, a team like Indiana serious that is uh, eight games under 500 at home. I can't do it, right? So I can't take these teams serious. Forget about Washington. Russell Westbrook is what Russell Westbrook is. He's going to get a triple-double and miss the final shot. <laughs> I mean, it's just who Russell Westbrook is, right? Then you have Atlanta, Miami, and the Knicks. I think the Knicks are going to be overpriced. People are all of a sudden loving the Knicks. MVP chance for Julius Randle. MVP chance on the West Coast for him, right? People are starting to realize who the Knicks are. They're starting to buy into the Knicks. They're starting to want to root for the Knicks. The Knicks are starting to become that team. Oh, here we go. And I think the Knicks are going to be a little bit overbought here. Right? Knicks are likely going to come up against a, a Milwaukee team. Um, yeah, that's a bad situation. I, 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 and I think from a points perspective, people are just going to go, oh, yeah, the Knicks are a pretty tough team. Look, the Knicks are five games under 500 away. Right? They're a very good home team, but away. They're going to have to go away. They're 3-8 and eight in their division, guys. Right? So the Knicks are a, a fade team. Miami Nah, you're not getting any value one way or the other. And Atlanta, probably not either. So it's the big three here. It's Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Basically, I'm saying bet against Brooklyn. You could take Philadelphia at plus 350 or plus 400, and Milwaukee plus about 400 to win the East. And what you're doing is just betting against the Brooklyn Nets. I don't believe that a team can be thrown together at the last minute, not play games together. I don't care how talented you are and then roll on to a championship. Now, early on, I think Brooklyn's going to be okay. Okay? Uh, and early on, Philadelphia and Milwaukee are going to be high price, high numbers. Uh, Milwaukee was a 14-point uh, favorite this week, and they only covered by 12, right? I mean, they're going to be excessively high lines. But Philadelphia and Milwaukee, as a long-term buy, make a lot of sense. All right, let's go over to the NHL, where the playoffs are, are pretty much all set. We'll start off with the Central. Nashville, look, the guy I do a show with in Vegas, Tim, he thinks Nashville's a team this year. I just don't see it, man. I don't see that Nashville can elevate themselves. There comes a certain point where you play playoff mentality for so long that it becomes a detriment instead of a good thing. And the Nashville Preds have played a just ridiculous playoff mindset and mentality for weeks now. And I think eventually that wears off. Tampa Bay, Florida, to me, is a toss-up series. I'm a Tampa Bay guy. Look, I gave you guys Tampa Bay last year before the year to win it all. I was a Tampa Bay guy. I loved them all. I loved them. This year, though, what I see is absolutely superior goaltending, but I see Stamkos hurt, Hedman hurt. These guys are banged up, okay? And if you're banged up, you're going up against a Florida team, a Florida team that has been consistent all year, and I think that they're going to get underrated. I think Tampa Bay is going to be favored in a lot of these games. 
And that is looking at Florida Panthers and going, you know what? You might be able to get a good number. Then you have the Carolina Panthers. I think Carolina, with their speed and the way that they have a defensive depth, Carolina is a dangerous team to go to the Cup. I like this Carolina team. I know that they're young, and I know that they're what they are. And they are fast. They don't have great goaltending. I'm kind of okay with it. Okay? I'm okay with what we're looking at. So when we're going into, uh, you know, the NHL and, and the Central, I think Carolina's coming out, but it wouldn't shock me if Tampa Bay did. Let's talk about the East. And we have Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston, and the Islanders. Right? I think this is the closest division by far. I can see Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston, and the Islanders all playing for a Stanley Cup. I could also see each one of them out in the first round. With Pittsburgh, we know it. We know the names of the Malkins and the Crosbys. It's, it, it is a star-laden team that didn't always play star-laden this year. We know what they can be. Washington. Right? Washington's right there. They got Ovechkin, but he's banged up lower body. Now, if this was a regular Washington team and you could kind of take the first round easy, that would be okay, but that's not what we have here. Boston, it's all about Tuka Rask. It's all about Rask. He's got to step up. He is a free agent after the year. He's got to step up, and he's got to kind of show up for the playoffs here. And then you have the Islanders. The Islanders are an ugly team. They are aesthetically unpleasing, right? I've talked about it. They are an ugly day. It's a bad watch, man. Oh, it's tough to watch the Islanders but it's playoff Islanders. They step up their game. Their game translates to the next level. They're like a running football team, They're like a defense-minded football team. Yeah, they might not score all the time and go up and down, but the Islanders are built for the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if the Islanders won coming out of the East. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Then we go up north to Canada, and I really love two of these teams, okay? Montreal, to me, they're not really a threat. Winnipeg is a team that I've watched them be really, really good at times. They've shut down defensively and with a goaltending. They've shut down Edmonton and Toronto at certain times this year that make me go, ah, I'm a little worried. But this is all about Toronto and Edmonton with stars, 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 stars. I want to throw money on plus 1,800 with Edmonton to win the whole thing. I really do. Okay? But I'm banking on a nearly 40-year-old goalie. And I'm banking on there's something after the first line of of the two best scorers in the league, and McDavid is just off the charts. But in a long playoff series, look, I think they'll be okay early on. But in a long playoff series, in a long string of playoff series, you need more than two goal goal scorers. You you need some depth, man. You need some bench, and they just don't have it. Toronto's plus 550 to win the Cup. Well, Toronto makes some sense, right? Toronto's a team that I'm looking at and I'm going, well— before the year I gave you guys them. Before the year I gave you Toronto at almost 20 to 1 odds, right? Why? Well, Toronto's got some ridiculous things like Matthews and Marner and Tavares and Nylander. They have two lines. The thing is Anderson or Campbell. I've liked what I've watched out of Campbell, but do I trust him? No, I don't trust him. So I think Toronto's a legitimate threat. I want Edmonton to do more, but I think Toronto's the team to beat there. And then we go to the West, where the Blues, to me, are a walkover team. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. I don't think they should be in the playoffs. I think they're going to get you know eliminated very quickly. They're no threat to me. Minnesota is a team, I think, on a betting angle, is going to be a little overrated. People are going to look at all those points, and they're going to go, oh, they did that with Vegas and Colorado in that division. Yeah, but they also had Anaheim, San Jose, L.A., and Arizona, and even St. Louis, right? They, they had teams to beat up on as well. Minnesota probably has the best coach of the year. 
probably has rookie of the year. They could probably steal a game or two at plus money because they are exciting, but they're not a real threat. And we go to the top two. And it's Vegas and Colorado. I would argue now that they're probably the number one and number two teams in the entire NHL. But only one of them could leave the West. Only one of them could lift a cup. I think it's in Vegas's head that they can't beat Colorado. And they did this year. They did. Right? They about split the series. They're about even on goals for. They're about even on goals against. So where is the determination mark where I think Colorado is the better team? And I think Colorado is going to go to the Stanley Cup. And I think Colorado wins the Stanley Cup. Where is the separation between the Golden Knights? Well, it comes down to this. I trust Grubauer more than I do Flurry. Flurry's good. Okay, I'm not taking anything away. But again, I have to trust an aging veteran. As good as he is, he's still an aging guy. I think Colorado has the goaltending advantage, at least for this year. And I think, not that I think, I know that as good as Mark Stone is, and he's good on all facets of his game, Nate McKinnon's a better player. Nate McKinnon's a, a more impactful player for sure. So if you take two teams that are separated on the season by, by the thinnest of hairs, and you're talking about goals for is separated by the thinnest of hairs, and goals against is separated by the thinnest of hairs, well, where is the advantage? I'll take the team with the better goal, goalie, and I'll take the team with the better star, the better impact player. And that's what we have here. So when all is said and done, guys, uh, my picks are Carolina against Colorado, but I could go in a number of different directions here, especially when we're talking about Tampa Bay. Yeah, I could see them going on a run. I worry about their injuries. Anyone coming out of the East is going to be dangerous. I still think Toronto can cause major fits. I just don't trust Campbell, and I'm rooting for Edmonton. I think that there's value on taking a shot at Edmonton. I think there's some value at taking a shot on Carolina. There's no value in Tampa. Unfortunately, no value in Toronto. No value in the Golden Knights. And the team I think is going to win in Colorado, well, they're the favorites. They're 4-1. to They were the preseason favorites. There's never been value on Colorado. So that's how that shakes out, guys. Again, it's going to be a fun couple of weeks into the future. And now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Bet to the future. Oh, well, we're talking about the MVP in the NHL. Let's talk about the odds. Connor McDavid, yeah, look, I already gave him the award, but he's minus 1,500. Austin Matthews is actually second at about plus 900. Cindy Crosby, 11 to 1 odds. Patrick Kane, 15 to 1. And then you go into Victor Hedman, 26 to 1, and down the line all the way to Mitch Marner, who is 48 to 1, as is Nate McKinnon, 48 to 1. Preseason, Nate McKinnon was the number one guy, so you can see how far he fell. That is bet to the future. All right, guys, look, week one odds are out. I want to give you the lines. We will do more analysis next week on it, but the opening lines for week one of the NFL season, oh, this always gets so exciting. I mean, it really does get exciting for everybody. Here we go. Week one's going to open up on the Thursday night. The Tampa Bay Bucks minus six and a half against the Cowboys, over-under set at 52. Bills minus six against the Steelers, over-under set at 49 and a half. Titans minus two and a half, over-under 51. Bengals are getting three points at home. 
Over-unders 48 against the Vikings. Falcons minus 3.5 against the Eagles. 47 is the total there. Giants, Broncos, about even money. Broncos might be minus 1 in some spots. Over-unders 42. Chiefs minus 6.5. The total is 53 against the Browns. Rams minus 7 against the Bears. 44.5 is the total. Texans are getting 3 points at home against the Jaguars. 45.5 is the total there. In a revenge game for Sam Darnold, minus four and a half at home against the Jets are the Panthers. Total is 43. Washington's catching a point and a half at home against the Chargers. Total is 44 and a half. Lions, well, they're catching a full touchdown against the 49ers. Total there is 45 and a half in Detroit. The Colts minus three against Seattle in Indy. Total is 52. Saints minus three even without Drew Brees against maybe Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. The total is 50 and a half in New Orleans. Two and a half, that's the Patriots minus the Dolphins up in New England. Total is 44 and a half. And the Monday night football game, Raiders minus three and a half against the, well, the Ravens minus three and a half against the Raiders getting three and a half in Las Vegas. Total there is 51. And what jumps out at me right away here, guys, is the public is going to be bashing some of these games, right? I mean, you look at it. The public's going to be all over the Bills because they, they can't stand the, the Steelers. Not not this year. They just don't like them. They remember that. Forget about the 11 wins in a row. They don't like the end of the season. Public is going to rise that Bills line. It's six now. I think that goes to about six and a half, okay? Um, I do think, and I'm not trying to be speculative here, I, I do think the fact that the Broncos are minus one, they're trying to hedge in case, uh-oh, what if Aaron Rodgers goes there, sort of. Packers plus three. If Rodgers is in that game against the Saints, I think people are going to love Aaron Rodgers and the Packers plus the three. So you can look where a lot of that public money's going. The Rams are everyone's darlings. The Bears are going to be starting Andy Dalton in week one, it seems to me. So... I think the Rams line is going to go up. People are going to jump on that. The Jaguars line opened up actually at one in some spots, quickly up to three at the Superbook is where I grabbed that one from. Uh, people are going to jump on the Jaguars, especially if Deshaun Watson is not going to be there. You look at the 49ers. How are the 49ers not going to get risen up for more than even a touchdown? Once they see the health and everything else, I think that they're going to be all over them, the public. And... I have a weird feeling here that the public is going to be on the Ravens, even on the road, even on Monday night, even in Las Vegas. I think the public is going to be taking a shot at that as well. So we'll watch these line movements over the next couple of weeks. We'll pay attention to that. I wanted to kind of give you my feelings. And look, what jumps off the page at me, if you're asking me for my initial reaction, and I don't make week one bets at this point, okay? It's not something that I do at all. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, okay, what jumps off the page at me? Not much. I don't love much, right? Bucks, Cowboys, I think that's a pretty good line. I like the Bills. I lean the Bills, but Steelers are a good team. Maybe that under 49 and a half early on. Titans cards I won't touch. You kind of like the Bengals plus the three at home, but that's with Burrow, and we don't know how his knee is going to be. I like the Falcons. I don't like giving the hook against the Eagles. Broncos, Giants I wouldn't touch. Chiefs-Browns I think is going to be a great game. Uh, I kind of like the Bears plus the seven. Probably won't go near that. The total is something I would look at. Jaguars, I like them. I don't know if I'm ready to lay three points in a division game on the road for Jacksonville. Jets, Panthers, won't go near it. 49ers, Lions, you got to like the Niners. But again, a road game, don't love it. Colts, Seahawks, minus three. These two teams are really up in the air. Totals 52, kind of like the under there. 
I like this Colts defense. Packers Saints won't go near it. We don't know about Aaron Rodgers. And the Monday night game is Ravens-Raiders. I lean the Ravens, obviously, but so does the rest of the world, I'm assuming. So there's two games that really stuck out. Without much analysis, without much in-depth, without knowing much, I like Washington getting points at home. Now, the travel isn't the thing, but everyone's loving on Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Look, it's a brand-new head coach going across country against Ron Rivera, a Washington defense that was explosive last year. Yeah, I kind of like Washington catching points at home. And I like the Dolphins-Patriots under. I don't care who's under center for the Patriots, whether it be Mac Jones or Cam Newton. They're going to have problems moving the ball. The Patriots spent a lot of time and money on, you know, short passing game, big tight ends, running the ball. That eats the clock. And the same thing with the Dolphins. I know they got explosive weapons, but they're defense first team. So that's what I'm looking at. I would be looking at under Dolphins-Patriots, uh, and I'd be looking at Washington plus the points. But if you listen to the show, I think Washington is going to have a good overall year anyway. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. The playoffs, oh yeah, they're here. Enjoy the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. We're going to dig into that next week as well as the full NFL schedule. I'll break it all down for you. I'm Tom Bart for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.